Good morning. morning. Welcome to week 16 of Rethink. Wait, what? Oh, that's right. We're doing something new today. (laughs) Praise God. (laughs) I'm not sure how to take that. Yes, actually we are. We're going to rethink marriage. Uh, relationships and friendships. So welcome to week one of a brand new series that we are doing called From This Day Forward. Uh, We are studying and exploring together marriage, relationships, and friendships. And uh, so I think all of us fall into one of those categories, and so I think we have a lot to learn. And yet I feel a, a little bit obligated to do some work on the front end to kind of help us think through why a, a series on relationships and marriage is crucial for us as a church and maybe crucial for you and where you find yourself uh, in your own life. As a church, I don't know if you realize this, but over the last uh, year plus, what we've been doing in a lot of our series as a church is that we've been building a foundation. And so when we began Cultivate, we started with a brand new foundation, uh, a series that we called Um, all things new, and we started to build up from that foundation a brand new vision for what it is God is calling us to do as a community, within a community, uh, to be a church within this uh, neighborhood, and what he's calling us to to do and to be. And so we began building up that new foundation. Um, And then last spring, we started to build a foundation for what does it mean to follow Jesus? The biblical term is discipleship, and we looked at that through a series Last fall, we, we unrolled uh, a series on our beliefs and we're building a foundation for what we believe. We called it Something to Believe in. And then from January until Easter Sunday last week, we have been building up for us kind of a new foundation of how to see Jesus. So as we look at him and we look at our lives, we're asking those questions. Who is he and why does it matter? And so we've been building a lot of foundations as a church for which we are going to operate and live by as we kind of proceed in our life together, as God blesses us with new people, as he has been doing. And so one of the crucial, critical areas that we've left to uh, explore together is what is God's view on family and relationships. And um, that kind of brings me to my second reason, which is the, the reason that we're doing something like this is because it turns out that God has a lot to say about it. Uh, you may not realize this, but there's quite a bit of pages, verses, texts, areas of the Bible that are devoted to p- particularly relationships in general, but specifically to marriages. And I think there's one specific reason for that that you might not have considered. And that is that God actually invented marriage as a picture of what it looks like to be in relationship with him. And so there are all kinds of verses that go back and forth between looking at marriage and then looking at relationship with God. And we're going to explore a lot of those together. Um, I'll put it this way. As a church, we have a testimony to tell in our community, do we not? We have something that we want to say to the people in Voorhees, Cherry Hill, surrounding areas in which we live, and it may be in your neighborhood or your city or your town, that you come to this place. We together as a church have a collective testimony. We are trying as a group of people to point others to the way to know Jesus, right? By our lives and by our words, we want others to know how great a life is that Jesus provides for us. And yet all of us individually in our own lives, in our own homes, we have individual testimonies which actually point to that greater testimony. And so we can say one thing on a surface level in terms of a community and what we want to be about, but if it's not true in our homes, then what have we done to the greater testimony? We've considerably undermined it, have we not? Because our neighbors will look in on our lives and see our relationships and go, you don't look any different than us, and therefore Jesus doesn't really make any difference in life. We want to paint a different story. We want our homes to be environments where Jesus is proclaimed and lived according to and is making a difference because there's joy and there's grace and there's forgiveness in our homes. Because all of those, if we get that right together as a community and then we join together as one testimony, we'll have a greater testimony for it. And the third reason that I wanted to kind of lead through a series on this 
is because Mandy and I really want to lead from where we are as a couple. Um, to be perfectly honest, when we started Cultivate, it took a lot of work, a lot of nights, a lot of weekends, a lot of time that we had to devote specifically towards what was going on here. And because of that, um, we didn't have as much time for a relationship in our lives. Uh, the way that we like to talk about it is that in our lives we have two toddlers, and they both start with C. <laughs> One is Caleb and the other is Cultivate. Both take time. Both uh, cause us a considerable amount of stress. Um, both keep us up late at night. <laughs> yes. Um, and so we discovered after about a year of, of being part of the church and a year and a half of serving our son as parents that uh, we needed some time relationally to look at our own relationship. Because what we discovered is when you put a relationship, specifically marriage, on the back burner of your life, it doesn't stay warm like it does on the stove. It actually gets cool. Yes? And, and so we began to look at our own relationship and our own marriage back in January when we started Rethink. And as we were learning things and growing in our relationship and really valuing the time that we were investing in one another, we thought this is an area that we really need to lead others in and help others to discover what it could look like for them to be in a healthy relationship. Because, and here's the key part, we want you to thrive. We want more for you than just the statistical okay of what a relationship should look like in life. We want you to be able to look at your own lives, your own relationships, and go, I'm thriving. I'm doing really well. Because if you do really well in your relationships, then every other area of your life will be strength, regardless of what it looks like. But if your relationships are a mess, it doesn't matter what the rest of your life looks like. Your life's a mess, right? Have you experienced that before? I sure have. And so we want more for you. We really do. Um, one of the things that always comes about, though, when we start looking at a relationship series like this and we start talking about looking at the topic of marriage is, um, is that the idea of what if I'm single comes up, right? And when we were planning this out and, and talking this through, a lot of what, what came out from people as we begin to bounce the idea off other people was um, we have a lot of single people in our congregation. What about them? Are we just going to kind of put them on the back burner for six weeks and let them simmer uh, while the rest of us look at relationships? And so there, I started to think out some reasons for um, why we should be doing this specifically for single people. And so I wanted to share those with you today before we actually got started. Uh, the first one is this, is that um, it is dangerous actually to read only the parts of the Bible that you think apply to you. And, so, and sometimes we can do that, right? As people, we can, we can go, well, I'm not going to read these sections because I don't perceive that they apply. And so I'm going to jump over them and I'm going to read the parts that I think apply to me rather than the ones that I don't. Here's the problem, though. The Bible is much wiser than you are. <laughs> it is. Um, and, and so as, as people who follow Jesus, our job is to really filter our lives through the Bible rather than filtering it through us, correct? Um, secondly, you may actually have a distorted understanding of marriage. And this may be something that you've experienced yourself in your own lives. It may be something that a parent has kind of thrust upon you in, in looking at their relationships and your family of origin, maybe even your grandparents. It may go back generations. You may have within you a distorted understanding of what it means to be in a marriage relationship or any kind of friendship or relationship. And those things, unless you actually do the hard work of discovering what those kind of errors are in our thinking, you will never change. You'll continue to play out the same patterns that have been given to you or that you've experienced in your life without making any kind of change. And the whole point of this series is that it's from this day forward that we experience new life and new change. We want to see you discover a new side of you that you never knew existed. And I think that that can happen as we look at relationships. Uh, thirdly, this series is going to have implications on relationships in general. Do, do you have relationships? Yes? Anyone? Everyone's hand should be raised, correct? Siblings, parents, children, 
uh, neighbors, coworkers, friendships, all of us have some kind of relationships. And so most of what we look at today and throughout this series will actually apply to you. Second, another thing is nine out of ten of you will be married at some point in your life, statistically speaking. And so let me just share from somebody who's been now in a marriage relationship for enough time to know, a little bit of teaching up front goes a long ways. I'll just put it that way. Um, Another thing is some of you may be actually called to counsel others. You may not even be uh, called in your own life to experience a relationship But you're going to be in life group with somebody. You're going to be neighbors with somebody who will at one point be struggling with a relationship in their life. And you, in the wisdom that God may give you throughout this series, may be able to have something to say to those other people and use you as a conduit for his love for somebody you don't even realize. Do you ever think of it that way? You may be used by God in an area that you have wisdom but no experience. And because it's wisdom, because God has given it to you, it will make a difference in someone else's life. Um, This may be the most fun one. You may find a spouse. (laughs) I know it's difficult to believe, but you may actually discover that God does something new in your life and brings somebody into your life that you had no idea. And so let me just say up front, um, this message and the rest of this series are being recorded on podcasts. And um, so if you find that somebody has come into your life um, that you think may be a good match for you, give them the podcast. Because if they can listen to me ramble for six weeks on marriage, they will make a great spouse. (laughs) I know from experience. (laughs) I know, right? Mandy's at work. She she isn't even here to... to, uh, to defend herself, but she did read my notes, so I have her authorization. She signed off on the... You know. uh, last thing, and maybe most importantly, um, for, for those of us that may have been in a marriage relationship or really any relationship before, and we've experienced some of the sorrow from that relationship not working out, really we just want to communicate to you through this series that God can provide you a new day. That, that you can have a new experience of relationships in your life, whether they're friendships or marriages, or whether it's just getting to know God even better. Um, you can have that experience in your life, and I think it can be a valuable one. So I hope that you're paying attention uh, today. And, and so here's the plan. Over the next six weeks, we are going to be sharing a series on relationships and marriage. Uh, we're going to be doing it from the standpoint of what does the Bible have to say on these things, And I'm going to be filtering it through my life and experience of being married now um, for a little bit of time. And so this isn't going to be for you a six-step process of how to get a better marriage um, because, to be honest, I don't think that's what you need. You need to understand what it is that God has to say about relationships in general, and you need somebody who's going to be really honest with you. And so that's my plan for you and and really for me in this series is that I'm going to be really honest with where I'm at. I'm not going to claim to be somewhere I'm not. I'm not going to claim to have it all together. I'm just going to share with you some of our imperfections and what we've learned and has been valuable for us along the way, and I hope it's valuable for you too. And so there's some advice in there as well because what I need for you to do is to be honest with yourself and your spouse. It does no good for me to be honest with you and then you go home and be dishonest, correct? You need... In order to get the most out of this series, you need to be honest with the person that you're in relationship with because it's the only way that you're going to discover change will happen. And so each week, um, we're going to answer some questions, as John alluded to. Um, There's a texting number in your bulletin. And so even if you're thinking of a question, a question pops into your mind, and you think, i got to ask this before it it trails out the other ear, then text it right in. It's anonymous, and we will try to get to those questions as we go. Um, and then each, each week, we are going to have discussion questions for our life groups. One of the other things that we'd like to do in addition to that is actually to provide you some reflection questions that you can discuss with your spouse. And so there'll be questions for men and for women and even for singles that you can go and, and do some study on your own and then come together and have an honest conversation 
about what it looks like to be in relationship with one another and to change. Doesn't that sound pretty good? Yes? All right. Um, my advice to you would be this. Don't walk this road alone. And so here's where a life group plug comes in. You need to be in community with other people in order to experience change because the reality is you don't know everything. You don't have all the gifts. Um, you don't have all the experience in the world. You need other people who have had other experiences apart from you to look at these things together and to come together in some kind of community that meets regularly so that you can begin to discover change for your own life. And so if you're not in one of these groups yet, I would encourage you to stop by the, con the Connection Center on the way out the door so that you can find yourself in a community and begin to change with one another. Okay, enough preface work. I want to start this morning by making a confession to you, okay? So uh, there, there is hope and healing and confession, and so I'm going to confess to you this morning. One of the biggest idols in my life that exists anywhere in my life, and there are probably quite a few, but if, if uh, for those of, of you who are in my life group, you've probably heard this one over and over again. One of the biggest idols in my life is time. Time. And you know an idol exists in your life when you can insert it into the following phrase. Life would be perfect if only I had more blank, right? So, so what is it? For you, I would ask you to consider that same thing. Life would be perfect for me if only I had more blank. For me, it's time. For you, it may be something else. It may be more kids. It may be more vacation time. It may be more popularity. It may be more respect. It may be more foot massages. I have no idea. <laughs> Whatever it happens to be, if you can insert it into that phrase, it's likely an, an idol. And for me, it's time. The reason I bring this up in the context of a marriage series is because throughout my dating relationship with Mandy and throughout our marriage, I have both at one point in time either idolized time and made it somewhat of a god or demonized it and made it somewhat of a devil. And I've kind of swung back and forth uh, between those two things. And I'll give you a little bit of our story at this point. Um, Mandy and I met in college at a Christian uh, group that we were both a part of. I was coming off of three years of really pretty radical rebellion and depression and wanting to have nothing to do with God. And so God had been working in my life and changing me. And I happened to meet Mandy at the point when I was starting to come to faith in Jesus. Mandy met me about the time that she was coming out of some depression of her own um, after being at school for a year on her own and being separated from her family. She had a lot of anxiety over that. And so we met at a point in time when our faith journeys were really kind of at a, a new high for us. It was a really great time and season in both of our lives. And so we met, and um, things clicked immediately. It was one of those connections that you just know that you have with somebody. And I remember thinking, even just six months into our relationship together, um, our, our relationship had really gotten to the point where we were best friends. And I remember looking at various friends in my life, and I had quite a few friends that had come into my life, really valuable people that spoke truth into my life and who were there for me. And so it wasn't that I was lacking friends, but I remember looking at my life and thinking, of all the people that I have in my life, she is my best friend. And so at that point, I made a determination that I knew in my heart that I was going to marry this person. And I think she came to this, that kind of consideration around the same period of time it, it had gone past the point of really loving one another, and we knew that God was doing something special in our relationship, and we wanted to be together. And so you may be thinking, okay, that's the point. They realized it, story over, happily ever after, nothing else to uh, consider, no bumps in the road, right? Wrong, yes? Um, so rather than getting married right away, we, because of circumstances in our life, uh, college and di various different things, living in different places. It took us five years to get married uh, after that point. And so I remember having friends who were like, dude, you are crazy. Why don't you get married? And we, we were trying to get through graduation and college and a number of other things. She was in grad school. We were trying to get after that point. And to be honest with you, I was flat broke uh, because I was a missionary to college students, and college students don't pay well. And, and so 
I really didn't have much of an income, and so it took me a long period of time even just to save up enough for a ring uh, to buy her, let alone have some kind of stable income in which to provide for a family. And I remember thinking to myself over that five-year period, this common thinking over and over and over again in my mind, it has to do with time. If only we had more time together, things would be great. Because both of us had the conviction that we weren't going to live together before we were married. We felt like that is something that God really conveyed to us early on in our relationship. And so it made things logistically difficult for us. We both had to find apartments in various places for a lot of the time when we were dating. She was staying at her uh, parents' house out in Reading, and I was in Philadelphia, and so there was a distance there. And always it seemed like the time was cut short. Everything was never, we never had enough time for the relationship. I always wanted more time. And so one of the major expectations that I had going into marriage is that once you get married, you live together, and you have all the time in the world to spend with one another. You laugh at me, but you have expectations of marriage too. We'll get to that in a moment. But that's one of the expectations I had. Once you get married, you have all this time in the world, none of the pressures of life. You can, you can live together. You can be together. You make dinner together. All the stuff that you think of as married life is there with part of that relationship, and I so looked forward to that being part of our experience together. But that it hasn't been our experience. Those of you who laughed and are in marriage, you know that there are other things that creep into life that keep you from cultivating that relationship, yes? And so think of this over time. If this is my major expectation of marriage and I'm not meeting that expectation, then the distance between those two things is causing me great frustration. Because soon after we got married, I went to seminary. And I'm in school full-time, and I'm putting hours and hours into studying and being up late. And she's working full-time. And then as soon as I'm done with seminary, really, you know, only a few months later, we began to start to plant uh, um, what was going on with with Discovery. And then a year later is when we started to plant Cultivate. Um, Caleb came along just three months after I graduated from seminary. And so our life has been a process of me not meeting that expectation of having all the time in the world, yes? That will impact the way that you view marriage. And as we begin this series on relationships and marriage, I want you to consider for yourself a question. And this question will help you to get all that you can out of this series. And the question is this. What is the one thing that you consider to be the biggest problem, the biggest obstacle, the biggest enemy to your marriage or to your relationships? What is the one thing that you perceive that obstacle to be? For me, it was time. What is it for you? The whole basis of this series is that God can actually give you a new marriage with the same spouse. But in order to experience that new relationship, we need to be able to identify the primary areas of obstacles that stand in our way. Usually the thing that you choose is the same thing as it was for me. It is the area where your expectations and your reality don't meet. That's the area that you look to as a place of major frustration, as a place of major obstacle. And so you may have had an idea going into a relationship that you would have all the emotional support that you need, and it hasn't happened. That you would have all the sex that you ever wanted, and it hasn't happened. That you've had all the support, all the vacation time that you would ever dream of, and it hasn't happened. What does that gap look like for you? Whatever you perceive that obstacle to be, your answer will influence the way that you go about seeing and experiencing this entire series. And so I want to address that up front, which is why we're doing that today. Because there's a section of the Bible that that is frequently referred to in weddings. It was actually um, referred to in our wedding as a passage in Ephesians 5 that gets used all the time 
in weddings, correct? Um, And that's actually the passage that we're going to be looking at over the next several weeks. But it is preceded by a very small verse that comes before it. And what happens often is that people start to read the section under the title of husbands and wives, and they forget this small little verse. And the problem is that this small little verse actually influences the rest of what's talked about in the entire passage. And so if you miss that passage, that that small verse, you actually miss the intent of the entire thing. And so we're going to spend one week actually looking at just those nine little words, and they are this. Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. The word submit there is a military term. It means to subordinate yourself under the headship of a leader to accomplish a common goal. It's something that was used to organize troops in battle so that they could go out and be effective for one another. In the military, those of you who have been in the military, you lose a tremendous amount of freedom, do you not? You don't have any say over your schedule. You don't have any say over your meals, over what you do with the time that you have. And the reason for that is because you need to in order to serve the common good for the people that you're a part of, yes? You need to do that in order to serve the common goals of the unit. And so what does it mean to submit? It actually means to put the good of others above your own, and to serve them in the way that best meets their needs and not yours. There's a very important distinction, because sometimes we think that serving others means that we serve them because we think it's best for us. But really, serving and submitting means we are doing things in such a way that serve them best. I'll give you a kind of a practical example. If, uh, let's say, Mandy is doing some baking at home, and she is missing a crucial ingredient, to what she is putting into the oven. And she says in love to her loving spouse, Honey, dearest sweetums, I need you to go to the store and please get me some flour because I cannot finish this recipe. If I go to the store three hours later, does that serve her? Why not? She needs it now, yes? So if I serve her according to my timeline, I have not done what's in the best interest of her. In order for it to serve her needs, I need to do it when she asks for it, correct? You see how that's important in terms of submitting to one another? I just heard a whole bunch of women go, "Mm mm-hmm, you got it. This small verse, it separates two really important sections in the Bible. One of them talks about how to operate in a church, and the other one talks about how to operate in marriage. And so it's important for us because this means that if we're going to have a clear understanding of what it means to be in any relationship, but particularly in marriage, we need to see everything as an outworking of this one important principle in verse 21. Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. And so let's go back to the obstacle that we were just talking about a second ago. What is it that you put into your mind when I said, what is the greatest enemy? Think about that thing, whatever it was, whatever it is, picture that obstacle in your mind. Because if every relationship that we have hinges upon this principle, for us to have the ability to submit to one another in love and put the other's needs ahead of our own, which, by the way, is not a natural thing for us to do, then that means that every obstacle that we come to in our marriages and in our relationships that has one root cause. You know what that cause is? Self-centeredness. Self-centeredness is actually the number one enemy to your marriage, to your friendships, to your relationships, and to mine. It is the number one enemy. It is the most foundational problem that you and I have in all of our relationships. And you can trace every major problem in marriage back to that one fundamental issue. That's a bold statement, isn't it? And a lot of you are thinking in your minds at this very moment, "Uh -uh. (laughs) uh-uh, you don't know my spouse. (laughs) 
You don't know my situations. You don't know my life. You don't know where I've come to. And so we'll unpack this a little bit. But we've come to kind of the big idea for this week. And here's what you need to understand. With God's help, you can have a new marriage. For those of you who are single, you can have a new relationship. You can have new friendships. But, here's the big but. In order to have a new marriage, you need to be a new spouse. And in order to be a new spouse, you need to deal honestly with your selfishness, with Jesus at the center of your life. It's the only way it works, and I'm going to try to convince you of that. Because here's what inevitably happens in every marriage. You get married because of one reason, typically. You like the other person. Yes? I mean, most of the time, right? Unless you're in like an arranged marriage or it's like a billionaire type deal. Most of the time, you really like the other person, right? Most of the time. When you get involved in them, you really do like them, or you think they're really easy to change, right? Uh Uh-huh. Oh, yeah, I put my finger on it. Yeah, I did. I had to go there. But here's what happens. Soon after you get married, within a year or two, you start to realize something. This person who is drastically different from you in every way, yes? And those things that you thought were so cute when you were dating suddenly begin to reveal themselves as selfishness in the other person. And you start to think to yourself, my goodness, they're selfish. I mean, really, the way that they organize their time, the way that they treat me sometimes, they're really selfish. And here's what's also happening at the same time. They're thinking the same thing about you. And if they're honest, they tell you. Right? You're starting to think over a period of time those differences between your actually selfishness and you start to identify them. At the same time, they're thinking the same thing about you. And here's the inevitable part that happens in every relationship. There is a day when it comes to pass for everyone. You convince yourself that your selfishness isn't nearly as bad as theirs. Right? We all do that. And here's the reason. Because in our minds, we justify our own selfishness based on our experience and based on the reasons that we conjure up for ourselves. And we know that those don't, reasons don't apply to their selfishness. They only apply to ours. And so we justify ours. We don't justify theirs. And we say, mine isn't nearly as bad as yours. That's what happens in every relationship. And so I'll give you kind of a, a maybe a trivial example, but you'll find out it's not so trivial. Um, after work, I like to come home and relax. My, my job during the day is oftentimes very stressful. And so being the introvert that I am, which just means that I gain my energy from being alone rather than being with other people, I like to come home and veg out for a little bit. Um, I, I want to come home and read. I want to come home and be in silence. Um, I, I want to spend some time outside, um, not doing anything, not thinking about anything, not talking about anything. At the same time, Mandy, she has a stressful day too, but she interprets it differently, doesn't she, as a woman. She comes home oftentimes, and instead of wanting to be silent, she wants to recap. (laughs) Right? Because her day was stressful too, but I I don't want to stereotype too much, but as a woman, she tends to see things through a relational aspect, whereas I see them from a task-driven And so rather than recap a task-driven day where I have to go over all my tasks again, I'd rather just drop it. But for her, those were all relational interactions for her. And so when she comes home, she wants to recap those relationships to know if she did right or or if she could have done better or sometimes just to relieve the stress of those things. Ladies, am I tapping into anything? Yes? Does this sound common? So what happens when two people come home after a stressful day and they interact with one another and both of them want different things from that time? They begin to, if they don't communicate, they begin to resent one another for it. So let me ask you this. We'll take a poll right now, okay? You've got to be really honest with me. Who thinks in this equation that I'm the one being selfish? Raise your hand. 
James, Christina isn't looking. You don't have to. Ra- <laughs> Who thinks that Mandy is the one being selfish in this equation? Come on, men. Come on, I need some support here. <laughs> The answer is, right, that both of us are. Yes? Both of us are. And the reason for that is because we are both, in our preference, wanting what we want rather than what the other person wants. And so if I'm silent and I don't say anything, then she begins to get mad at me. But if she presses the issue and starts to tell me about her day, then I perceive it as her not wanting to give me space, and so I get mad at her. And what ends up happening is a relational conflict because both of us selfishly want what we want and we're not able to submit ourselves to what the other person wants. This is kind of a trivial example, um, but it's, it's indicative of a greater problem. At that point, when you get to this point in life where you realize both of you are selfish and that you're thinking that maybe your selfishness isn't as bad as the other person, you have a decision to make at that point. You can either do one of two things, and the first one is this. You can decide that you're right and they're wrong, and you can choose not to deal with your own selfishness. That is a choice that you and I have the ability to make at that point in our lives. And so you'll say things when you've made this decision like this. Sure, I do that, but you don't know the reason for it. Yes, I'm selfish, but you don't understand. You ever say something along those lines? I have. We start to say those things, but the result is this, is that emotional distance begins to encroach into the marriage and you begin to bargain with the other person. You don't do this out loud, but you do it in your minds, and you say something like this to yourself. Okay, I know I do this, and I know you do that. So if, if you don't bug me about this area in my life, I won't bug you about that area in yours. And if you don't bother me about this area in my life, then I won't touch that area in yours. And what you do is you begin to quarantine off sections of your life that, that you don't have permission to speak truth into one another's life accordingly to. And what happens is the more sections of your life that you end up quarantining off, the less relational connection you have with that person. Because after years, it starts off very trivially, like my example at home. But you play that out over a series of 40 years, and you're left with strands of connection, right? Where once there was a deep, intimate connection on all levels, it's firing on all cylinders, and now you're hanging on by a thread, right? Play that out over a long period of time. And the couple that seems to have everything together, seems to have it all going for them, when they have a 40th reunion gathering and all their friends and family are gathered around and they have to kiss for the photo, it's going to be forced. Because the connection is actually gone. It's been severed over that period of time. Understanding this is actually explains for us why so many marriages fail. And we think about it like this. Why do so many marriages fail? And, and we really should be considering it the other way. Why do so many succeed? Because this root problem exists in every relationship. It is always there. And so statistically, do you know the number one reason that couples give uh, for for their divorce, the one that they write down on a piece of paper when they're being divorced. Irreconcilable differences. Yep. Let me submit to you this. Every marriage has irreconcilable differences, does it not? You are different people. There will always be things that you cannot reconcile together. And so what, just to be really honest with you, what happens is that those irreconcilable differences, many times it's just code to say something along the lines of uh, our differences were greater than our willingness to change ourselves. We were both confronted with our own self-centeredness 
and the self-centeredness of one another, and rather than change ourselves, we chose to break off the thing that's revealing that self-centeredness to us. Because marriage is always a mirror. It is always a mirror to our character, to our emotions, to who we are as people. And so you need to make a decision. As you look into that mirror over time, you have two choices. Either you can change the appearance in that mirror, or you can choose not to look in the mirror anymore. And many people choose not to look in the mirror anymore. And I don't say this from a judgmental standpoint. I'm really not trying to go there at all. Because to be perfectly honest with you, and this is where the honesty and the openness in our relationship comes in, I didn't realize in our own relationship in looking at my idol of time that many times when I told Mandy I don't have enough time for our relationship and yet I came home and chose to be in solitude rather than in relationship with her, what I was telling to her is that I don't care enough for you to use my time for you. And so my trivial example isn't so trivial anymore, is it? Because you play that same thing out for 40 years and what do you get? You get a people who are roommates, right? They share the same address, but there is no connection left. I want to be honest with you because if, even in my own relationship, if I am not willing to change, if Mandy is not willing to change, then that is where we were headed as a couple. And so I want, I want you to experience the same kind of thing that Mandy and I have been experiencing as we've looked at our own relationship and been honest with our own selfishness. We want more for you. We want you to succeed. We want you to get to that 40-year mark and 50- and 60-year mark and be so in love with your best friend that, you, that others look at you and go, that's how we should live. That's the way it's done. If you're single you would have such quality friendships because you've let other people into your life that others who are single will look at you and go, that person is so well-connected. What makes them unique? See, when two people do this at once, you have the possibility for a truly great marriage. When two people say to one another, I'm going to put down my own self-centeredness for the sake of the marriage, I'm going to serve your needs above mine, and two people do that at one time, you have a phenomenal marriage. And then when you have a community of people that are doing it together, the world takes notice. Right? So I, I know what you're thinking. Um, what if I'm the only one willing to make that decision? You don't know my spouse, Jay. You don't know my experience. You don't know my relationship. Um, if I make that decision, won't I be enslaving myself to the other person? What if they don't change? What if it doesn't get better? What if things don't progress? What if they don't see? What if I choose to submit myself to the other person and serve them and love them and nothing happens? My only advice to you or, or counsel to you would be this. Isn't that what Jesus does for you? Right? You and me in our selfishness and in our waywardness and in our rebellion, we run and we run and we run from God. And what does God do? He says, while we were yet sinners, he died for us. He pursued us. Not because we were living right, not because we were doing things according to the way he wanted, not because we were being this fantastic person or this fantastic spouse. He pursued us anyway. In our rebellion, he pursued us and gave his life for us. When you grasp that reality for you, it changes everything. And suddenly, rather than seeing your spouse, you see Jesus and you're able to do anything for your spouse regardless of their conduct. Because you know in Jesus your needs are met. You know in Christ he has done for you what you cannot do for yourself or what your spouse can do for you, yes? You begin to change and you begin to serve them selflessly with love and grace and kindness 
and forgiveness. And as you do, here is what will likely happen. Their heart will soften. And they'll change. That's the way that God deals with us relationally. And by God's grace, we are changing, yes? And so if we do that same thing and be Jesus to others, they'll change too. Paul puts it this way. Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ, right? The truth is, in order to deal with the self-centeredness in your own life and to be the kind of spouse, to be the kind of friend, to be the kind of partner that anyone else needs, you need Jesus at the center of your life. It's assumed. Because pride can only be dealt with by the gospel. Because when we come to him, we start to understand that in him, like I said, all of our needs are met. All of our sin is forgiven. In him we're made new. In him we are clean. And the good news is that if you've come to Jesus, if you know him as your Savior, if you're walking with him, you have this ability implanted into your heart. And here's the proof. It says elsewhere, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old is gone, and what? The new has come. And so within us is this given ability that we did not have apart from Him, that God implants into our life through His Spirit, and He says, I will give you the ability to change and to look like my Son, Jesus. And the more that you submit to one another, the more that you look at Jesus, and the more that you experience the relationship that He's given you through Him, the better the spouse you'll be, the better the friend you'll be, the better companion you'll be, and the more of a companion you'll start to see from those who are around you. And if you don't know Jesus yet, I would say that the opportunity stands before you today. It does. The door is open. And he gives that opportunity to you today. So you, if you've been thinking in your life, I have no ability to change, things will never get any better, then I would say to you, rethink your relationship with Jesus. Come to him and see what he does. Because he can make far more of your life than you can. I've seen it over and over again. And so I want to leave you with a question this morning. As we end our time today, um, I, I want you to consider this question. If your life ended today, would the book about your marriage be one that your grandchildren would want to read? Would it be one that your children and your grandchildren, would they pick up and would they love to read the story, the testimony of your life because you dealt with your self-centeredness in Jesus, you decided that your selfishness was more of an issue than your spouse's, and you gave your life to him knowing that he could make more of it than you could? Is that the story? Because all of us will leave a legacy with our relationships. No one can say, I choose not to be an example to anyone else. You are an example. The question is, what kind of legacy will that example leave for other people? And will they want to follow it? You will be an example. This is the sobering news, right? Your children and your children's children, they will be impacted by the quality of your marriage. Your neighbors, your friends, your coworkers, they will view your marriage as an indication of whether or not Jesus makes any difference in a life. The quality of our relationships is a direct reflection of our Savior to the world. But here's the good news. That God in Christ offers you a new way today why we called this series from this day forward because we really do want you all to be able to see that from this day forward a new experience can be had a new day can come and so you can look back on your life and the legacy that you end up leaving and you can say that is the day that changed and your children can say that is the day my parents changed and your grandchildren can say that is the day that that person with my last name decided to paint a different portrait for our family tree.
And it has changed ever since then because of what they decided to do that day. You will leave a legacy. And if you want to leave a good one, it begins with Jesus, yes? Let's pray. As I pray for you, um, and if you're here with your spouse, I would encourage you to hold their hand. Father, we thank you so much that, um, that you do not abandon us. You, you come and you give us new life. That's what the, the empty tomb is all about. Those who convince themselves that this path that they've been on is the only path that they're ever going to experience, you come and you open the tomb and you say, he is risen, and because of that, we can experience something new, better, and life-giving than we ever have before. And so I pray for all of us who are in relationships, and particularly for those of us that are in marriages, that you would allow us to see that today you have been giving us and will give us the ability to see a new experience in our lives. At the same time, I pray, God, that you give us the grace and the conviction to see that it begins in us and in our hearts. And I pray, Lord, that as we are convicted and beginning to see that it is our selfishness that needs to be dealt with, that you would deal with it through the cross, which means that you do not convict without forgiving, that you don't condemn, that you say to all of us, if we confess our sins, Jesus, he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and cleanse us of all unrighteousness. And so whatever that is, if it's coming to our minds, Lord, this morning, I pray that through the cross we would understand that we are forgiven. And more than that, that we are cleansed and made whole and right through a relationship with you. God, we thank you for the cross. We thank you for Jesus. And we pray that through understanding you and our relationships that we would experience real change and that you'd continue that change throughout the rest of this series. We ask this big thing that we want you to do and we ask for it in Jesus.